Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Nat Chang Rinpoche, Chapter 28, Part 2. Now, maybe, there is one further account I will give of Milarepa. Milarepa had many excellent disciples, and he told them all, I've never bothered myself with the tedious sophistry of word knowledge. These conventional books have to be memorised by monks, but in reality they mainly lead to mental confusion. Me, I forgot word knowledge long ago, even if I once knew it. His disciples looked a little shocked when he said this, so he replied, I'm accustomed to meditation, so I've got good reasons for forgetting book knowledge. I prefer to be far removed from quarrelling doctrine and systems of belief because I've forgotten the difference between myself and others. I've forgotten those who rule others with power. I've forgotten written printed words because I've got no interest in artificial definitions and constructed meditations. Because of this, I've forgotten the dread of birth and death. On hearing Milarepa hold forth on this, the academic Tsar Pua, who was a Tomyor from way back, decided to feel slighted. The arrogant and conceited always make the decision to be slighted, and when they do, someone has to suffer. I thought you were a highly advanced yogi, he responded with a sneer, but it turns out that I was mistaken. Tsarpur pootled off to sulk and skulk behind the others. He fell to petulant ruminations. This Milarepa just acts eccentric and talks gibberish, and then he gets gifts lavished on him as if he were a great lama. I think I'm really going to have to set this matter right. He worked out a strategy and went to work on its implementation. On returning to his monastery, he collared one of the young monks he employed for buggery and conjoled him into taking Milarepa an offering of a bowl of curd that he laced with poison. Some texts, Rinpoche commented, say girlfriend, but whatever, girlfriend, boyfriend, makes no difference. A monk's vow means celibacy, so it does not matter whether it was a girl or boy. So you can see that his academic knowledge was easily put on one side when he wanted to find a use for his erection. Now, Milarepa knew that his life was drawing to an end, whether he consumed the poison or not. So when the young monk offered him the curd from Tsarpua, he said, At this moment, it's not appropriate that I accept this curd, but if you come back later, I shall be glad of it. The young monk went back to Tsarpur with some degree of nervousness and told him what had happened. He explained that he was frightened and that he knew that Milarepa fully grasped the plot to poison him. Tsarpur wasn't well pleased but decided to play on the young monk's greed. Look, young bonny buttocks, there's a nice fat turquoise in this for you if you go back and deliver the curd to that turd Milarepa. 
The young monk wasn't happy about the proposal, but he went back to Trodi Tashigang, where Milarepa was staying. As soon as Milarepa saw him, he called out, Hey, young lad, have you got that bowl of curd? This was too much for the lad, and he begged Milarepa not to eat the curd. It's poisoned, he pleaded. Don't eat it. Tsarpua has poisoned it. Yes, I know that, young lad, but that's no terrible problem to me. The lad then knew that Milarepa was a real yogi and that he was utterly beyond fear of death. He was so distraught that he volunteered to drink it instead. But Milarepa replied, My life's almost over now. The time's come for me to move on. There's no use in hanging around beyond a certain point. At that, Milarepa ate the curd, opined that it had a good flavour, and sent word to disciples from Tingri and Nyanyam to come and see him one last time. When they'd all arrived, Milarepa addressed them. I'm grateful for your confidence. Thank you for showing up. Then he gave some final teachings and his disciples dispersed. A few days later, Milarepa began to exhibit signs of malaise, but he refused medical treatment, saying, A yogi who gets ill must use illness as the path. My time has come, so I don't want treatment or ceremonies, and there'll be no need for churtons when I die. I have no monastic hall to consider, so there'll be no need to light butter lamps either. The young monk, moved to tears, said, Please transfer your illness and rid yourself of pain. But Milarepa replied, I could transfer this illness, but there's no need for conjurer's tricks. Sarpua, who was lurking to the rear, as was his wont, felt certain that Milarepa was incapable of such a feat, and said, If you think you can transfer it, then by all means transfer it to me. Milarepa shook his head. If I transferred my pain to you, you'd not be able to endure it. I'll be the best judge of whether I can endure it or not, Sarpua Sneed. Just cut the guff and get on with it. I'm bored with your pretentious posturing. If you wish, Milarepa sighed, but I won't transfer it to you. You may be a schlemazel, but I have no desire to hurt you. I'll transfer my pain to that door. Milarepa put his mind to it, and the door began to groan with sounds of cracking, splintering and splitting. At the same time, Milarepa seemed to be free of pain. Sarpua decided that this was merely magical illusion, and jeered, How very spectacular! So what's that supposed to prove? Give me a break with these silly illusions. Transfer it to me, or admit you're a charlatan. You're not an easy man to convince, are you? Milarepa replied. As you say, then. I'll give you half the pain, and you can see what it's like already. Give it your best shot, then, Joker, Sarpua laughed, and Milarepa transferred half the pain. 
Sarpua immediately crumpled to the ground, screaming, begging Milarepa to take the pain away. His pain was instantly relieved, and he lay stunned, gasping like a fish. Sarpua then repented, as they all do, and begged Milarepa's forgiveness. Happy to oblige, my friend. Just do me a favour and maintain the monastic vows you have taken and start acting like a mensch. Milarepa then commented, The result of this course of events with the poison curd is that this Gansamaka, this hardened schmuck, has changed his ways. That makes me happy. To me, there's no concrete reality in illness or death, so whatever transpires, I'm fine with it. I'm off now to die at Chubar. Milarepa then addressed his disciples. Practice seriously now and don't act like Shlemiel's. He then shared out his property, such as it was, a wooden boon, a wooden bowl, a spoon made of yak bone, flint and steel, and his cotton shawl. There's gold too, if you want it. People gave me the stuff and I really didn't know what to do with it. You will find it hidden here beneath the hearth in my cave. Just try to do something useful with it rather than making more problems. As his death finally approached, he had a few final words of advice for his disciples. The normal religious hypocrisy of hankering after chukkis whilst outwardly affecting piety is nauseating. Have no truck with it. If you do anything good for others, remember that it'll come to a bad end if it's not free of self-interest. So don't be in any mad rush to look good in the eyes of others. Give what you can, when you can, and then forget it. Not long after this, Rinpoche commented, having given essential pointing out instructions to his closest disciples, Milarepa passed away in meditation. He was 84. Maybe I live that long. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. Maybe 80. That is long enough. I'd been listening intently to Rinpoche's account and had felt quite at ease, but this sudden mention of his death had brought tears to my eyes. Idiot, I thought. Everyone dies. This is central to everything I've been taught. My own death had been brought to my attention often enough, and that, although I'd contemplated it seriously, had never whacked me round the head. Rinpoche noticed my emotion and smiled warmly. Yeah, so it is. Then he laughed. Be careful who gives you curd. There have been many poisoners in Tibet, and sometimes they are very clever. They are tomyors, of course, but they have great skill. If you accomplish anything in the world, there will be people who hate you. So it is maybe better to stay quietly somewhere and not show anything. But 
Dujum Rinpoche asks you to work to preserve and propagate the Gurkha Changlo. So, he laughed, maybe you need good luck. Rinpoche reached over for the plate of kapse that had been brought in earlier and prompted me to eat. Oh yeah, and so now soon I go to Sikkim. So maybe you study with some other Nyingma Lamas until we meet again. Maybe next year, I don't know. There are good Nakpas like Chatrao Rinpoche, Chimi Rigsin, and also maybe Chagdud Tulku, who can help you with what you must learn of Maha Yoga and Anu Yoga. What about Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche? I met him in McLeod Gange and he has been teaching me aspect, aspects of the Tromanakmo cycle of the Dujumtair. Yes, possible. He has experience in Mahayoga ritual. He received the Dujumtair Tromanakmo from Chimi Rigsin. Dujum Rimshe asked Chimi Rigsin to give this empowerment to Yeshe Dorje. This was because Dujum Rinpoche had no time. As you know, Dujum Rinpoche has a great many responsibilities now, which is why he sent you to me. But there will be a time when we will not see each other. So if you can find Chimi Rigsin, that would be very good. But he lives in Santinakatan and it's very, very hot there. It would not be good for you to go there, I think, because you get sick in the heat. You are brave to come to India when the heat makes you sick. Well, Rinpoche, I have no choice if I want to study Vajrayana. Yeah, good, this is true. Maybe one day there will be Vajrayana in the West and people will not have to come here and get sick. Many Western people get sick here because of the water. That is why you must teach in the West. Anyway, Chimi Rigsin is a very good Lama. Then Rinpoche laughed and shook his head. Wrathful like me, then he laughed again. But maybe this is not difficult for you now. This was quite funny. The idea of seeking out another wrathful Lama gave rise both to excitement and apprehension. I rather thought I'd graduated from wrath, but maybe that was a severely improper attitude. Maybe, Rinpoche, but I think it all depends on what the wrath looks like, or rather whether I can understand the wrath. I noticed Rinpoche looking quizzical at this point, and it jolted my thinking. But then you said he's a good Lama, so I have no doubt that his wrath will be most exciting. Rinpoche grinned. Yeah, good. Rinpoche always threw in the odd English word, and good was one of them. I am happy. So do you think you remember your past life? If I had a memory, it must be hidden behind a lot of other ideas. Rinpoche nodded. Yeah, good. So, whether you remember or not, it does not matter. 
There are many Tomyors who say they remember, and what they remember is no better than an Indian tourist bazaar. All nonsense. Later you may remember, but it's more important to remember the teachings you receive, and this you do, I can see. And also get rid of that dark maroon tona you love so much, he chuckled. I will get rid of that tona, Rinpoche, I laughed. Oh, yeah, I am happy that you are no longer embarrassed. That is good. If you become too easily embarrassed, everyone has power over you, and that is not good. Yes, I know that only too well, Rinpoche, and I'm not usually that embarrassable. Rinpoche looked at me to speak further, so I spoke further. In the beginning, when I first came here, I was always concerned not to be an idiot. I knew you had no patience with idiots, and so I tried all the time not to be an idiot. That, of course, made an idiot out of me. I don't usually care if someone thinks I'm an idiot, especially if I have no respect for them. But with you, it was vitally important not to be thought of as an idiot. Rinpoche nodded and made a humming sound. So, what I saw at first was not so much like you? Well, yes, it was me, all right, but it was me faced with you and my respect for you. Oh, yeah, this I see. Maybe this angry Kunzang Dorje should not have shouted so much. No, Rinpoche, I think it was fine, but then I don't know what would have happened if you hadn't shouted at me. That's impossible to know now. The only thing I can say is that I wouldn't change anything. I think you helped me grow up. When I first came here, I thought I was an adult. I thought I'd been an adult for a decade, but then I discovered I was still a child, that is, in terms of Vajrayana. And now you are adult, Rinpoche commented, but I was not sure whether it was a question or a statement. Well, I have yet to see whether I'm adult or not in those terms, but I'm no longer a child. Oh, yeah. There is maybe more you should learn before you teach your own students. So, anyway, now we have some words of great beauty and great meaning for us. Rimshe called out to the mistress of the house and she came in with a tray bearing two glasses and two bottles of cold Eagle Indian beer. Rimshe poured the beer, as always, with great care. Alala ho, Kalpazang. We both drank and Rimshe fished around under his table. He found the book he sought. The Gurkha Changlode carry long hair of non-contrivance. Their bodies are adorned with white raiment of non-contrivance. Their minds have the natural state of non-contrivance. This is called the three non-contrivances of the Gurkha Changlode. The following can be found in the Kunzang Raupa Nakpodo 
where it states, In the degenerate era, when red-faced beasts have ruined Vajrayana, those with white skirts will benefit sentient beings. Thence arises the need for long-haired practitioners. A carefree body donning a white skirt, a head adorned with braids. This is the sky-like appearance of the trukku. Carefree, uncut hair. This is the sky-like appearance of the longku. Carefree view of pure mind. This is the chukku. Achieving the three spheres of being within oneself. This is the practice of Dzogchen. We sat in silence for maybe five minutes after Rinpoche had read the passage. And then suddenly he shouted, Those with white skirts will benefit sentient beings. Then he barked, There are some Westerners. I have seen them in Kathmandu. Eh, Hong. They wear white garments, but they help no one, Rinpoche yelled. They cause harm to Vajrayana by smoking tobacco and ganja. Rinpoche looked disgusted and seriously displeased. They also take opium and heroin. These people are not Nakpas. They are Tomyors who make a bad name for Vajrayana and for Western people who are serious. Yes, I've seen that, Rinpoche. It's extremely sad to witness that. Why do they do this? he chided. And I felt highly relieved that I was not the subject of his ire. Well, because they see Vajrayana as something that's beyond concept, and they think that transcending pure and impure means you can do what you like. They think these drugs are useful for meditation. And what do you say? Rinpoche asked interestedly and with a gentler tone. I say they're deceiving themselves. I saw a lot of this at art school. And what I saw was people who didn't do much with their time. It made them vague, slow, unreliable and lazy. It also seemed to make a mess of their lives. The places they lived were often pretty dirty and untidy. I don't want you to think I'm some kind of conventional conservative type. No, Rinpoche laughed. I never have this idea. Not with your extremely large beard and playing the electric music of Africans. Rinpoche laughed again. But anyway, Dujam Rinpoche has written and spoken very plainly about this disgusting degenerate tobacco and ganja habit. You have never smoked? No, Rinpoche, I never liked the smell of it. My father smoked cigars and it always made me sick in the car. Yeah, it is poisonous and creates terrible diseases. Even if you don't smoke yourself and you breathe it from others, it is bad. Westerners in Nepal learn this from some of the Hindu sadhus there. They see sadhus smoking ganja and think it is spiritual. Some sadhus also learn the heroin idea from hippies and you see them sleeping all day.
They have no life left and are ruined. This is the habit of a degraded mind. You cannot trust someone who smokes. They forget the difference between truth and lies. Maybe, I commented, that is because they have to lie to themselves about the damage that smoking causes. Yeah, Rinpoche exclaimed with vehemence. You must tell this to people. It is extremely important. I'd seen Rinpoche being wrathful before, but I was the subject of his wrath. It was indescribably strange to see his wrath in another context. It even threw me for a moment, and I had to readjust my emotions in respect of the fact that his wrath was aimed elsewhere. Rinpoche turned his gaze to the window. Oh, yeah. Do you hear that beautiful bird singing? Yes, Rinpoche, I love the birds here. Kye Chung Lotsa, one of the 25 disciples of Guru Rinpoche, spoke with birds and taught them Dharma. Dujum Rinpoche and Chimi Rigsin are both from the line that comes from Kye Chung Lotsa. Rinpoche smiled and all wrath was gone, as if it had never been there. It hit me immediately that Rinpoche's wrath was nothing like any form of anger I'd ever seen. It was transparent. It seemed to have no history and no future. It was merely there in the moment and he was not conditioned by it. That was easy to see when I wasn't the subject of that particular non-dual display. After a moment, Rinpoche returned to the main subject matter. So, there are many categories of Gurkha Changlode because it is an ancient lineage and because it has suffered persecution at certain times. From violent sectarian idiots, Rinpoche laughed. Oh yeah, Tom yours, you learn well. Yeah, there are many Tomyors, and it is bad when Tomyors get power in the world. There are intelligent Tomyors too, and when Tomyors are intelligent, they cause much confusion. In Tibet, in the second spread, they made it illegal to translate any Tantra that was not on the approved list. If you translated anything that was not on the list, then the penalty was death. Do you think that it is acceptable for Buddhist hierarchs to act in this way? It's not acceptable for Buddhist lay people to break the precepts in this way. Yeah, and so, this is what the powerful Tomyors did. That is why many lineages had to remain hidden and why many different Gurkha Changlo traditions grew. Rinpoche paused and gazed at me intently. We sat silently for some five or ten minutes, and then he laughed. Maybe you find one of the female disciples of Guru Rinpoche and marry her. Rinpoche noted my bemused and vaguely soporific expression. Oh yeah, but maybe now you need to sleep. <laughs>